This recording is an interview that I, Richard Lang, conducted with Douglas Harding in May 1987. This is part two. Douglas, seeing that, that one doesn't have a head here presents a different, uh, if I could say, model of relationship from the one that we're used to, which is a face-to-face -face model. That's the way we've been brought up to see ourselves in relationship with other people. What difference do you think it makes to see that you don't have a head here where you are, in terms of personal relationships? Well, I think it makes total difference, don't you? Um, in fact, it calls in question the, the very word relationship. Um, if I see, and I do see, that uh, here am I gone, so to speak, that uh, Douglas no longer exists in this place, what relationship can this non-existent have with that existent out there? I mean, can nothing, no thing, rather, not nothing exactly, no thing, aware of itself as no thing, how can it be related to things? It seems to me for there to be a relationship it has to be between um, things of the same order. Um, put in very, very simple terms, uh, it seems to me like this, that uh, if I am something here, if I have a face here, if I'm a solid lump here, if here is a sort of meatball, a thing here, and I am that thing, and uh, there are you over there, a similar thing, I'm absolutely and entirely and clearly designed to shut you out and to serve notice on Richard, keep out Richard, I've got one. It's like a rejection of Richard, not because I'm have anything against you, but I'm built for rejecting you, really. I'm built for pushing you away. I'm not open to you by nature. I'm close to you by nature. Well, that's one kind of thing, and uh, uh, one kind of uh, setup, isn't it? And it's the kind of setup that I observe all over the world, a symmetrical setup. I see people confronting one another. Face to face. Face to face. I see uh, symmetry all over the place. And uh, this is our paradigm pattern of personal relationships. Face to face. Who ever heard of anything different? Well, here it's totally different from that. And uh, I, I see that I'm built to let you in. I'm built as it were for loving. I say as it were because it doesn't involve necessarily a, a sentiment, a strong feeling of any kind. But it, it does, if I attend to this, I consciously let you in because I have no option. I'm open to you. And I become you in, a, in, 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 your, in your richness. I mean, I'm I'm now full of Richard. I'm in, invaded by Richard. I am so much Richard at this moment, uh, which I guess you're not. I'm, I'm giving Richard 
his richness, I'm giving him his uh, all his uh, status, qualities, character, personality, as Richard as a human being, and that's my business to look after that manifestation here, which I call Richard. And I'm completely busted wide open for that. And um, in a less sure and certain manner, I would guess that you're doing the same thing for Douglas. And this is uh, a very beautiful, very strange, very intimate business, isn't it? This trading of faces, trading of appearances. Yes. I am here, no thing for Richard, and Richard there is no thing for Douglas. And we're doing this for each other. We're giving each other human status, really. A very, very precious and wonderful thing to do. Yes. It's something you can't do for yourself. I have to do it for you to give you human status at the start, and vice versa. Mm. So it's a it's a very, very big difference. Yes, the difference is uh, total between the setup that we can see now, first person, third person, uh, and the one we see over there between two other people, which is third person, third person. The total difference. And what we have done is to model our uh, idea of what personal relationships are on looking at other people and ignoring our own uh, situation. We've taken um, objects as clue to the subject. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there are no clue to the subject. The subject and object are quite different. In fact, whereas up till this point, being that someone else might have given one a face, now one can be with other people and let them take your face take off, it you. off you. It can yes. be a great reminder of seeing who you are. Yes, yes. And so, Richard, this makes a total difference to the way we get on with people. I know that uh, it doesn't immediately seem to have any startling effects. But in the long, long run, I'm absolutely sure it transforms uh, the way we do get on with people. I think not too quickly, because we have to get out of the old habits, don't we? But it really takes the fear out of the eyes over there of the other person. It takes my fear off those eyes from me. It, it means that uh, I don't feel threatened by those eyes. I, I'm not frightened of uh, that appearance. I don't feel under inspection here. There's nothing to be inspected here. I feel free to look into that person's eyes in a way I never was before. So I look at the. I don't look at those eyes of yours as uh, windows through which two little tiny spooks are peeping at. I just see that as the appearance uh, of Richard and those little uh, windows, so-called, are no more spooked out than your lips and all your noses, just as objective. Uh, now, where do I find the subjectivity of Richard at this time? Because I don't deny subjectivity, I don't deny a consciousness.
where do I find it? Well, I find it this side of your face, not your side of that face, but my side here, if I find it right here. Because the consciousness I perceive here, looking back at this place I occupy, this awareness, this space, this clarity, this aware nothingness that I am here, I perceive to be infinite in extent, crystal clear in its uh, awareness of itself, and altogether fitted uh, to be the consciousness of all beings in the world. Why? Because it has no Douglas label on it, it has no special labels at all, neither Richard nor Douglas nor anyone can claim this as a private property. The, the awareness I find here is big enough, aware enough, and impersonal enough to do for Richard and me and all the world beside, and uh, indeed God's awareness could not be different from this. In fact, uh, that's one way of putting it. So there aren't many consciousnesses? There's well, I think the, the idea of uh, multiple consciousnesses is nonsense. I find consciousness only here, and I take that very seriously. I mean, travel all over the universe, peering into everything and inspecting everything. I won't get, I won't ever discover anything which has a smell, a hint of this uh, awareness, this sense self, sense of being oneself, uh, the I am feeling, the I am sense of I am, I am. I will never, never find it in any place in the whole universe except right here. And of course, this right here, this point where I find it, when I look here at this point, which I'm pointing at now, yes. uh, I find it explodes to, to be of infinite extent. So it's not something which is a private little possession here at all. It's something which uh, explodes to take in the whole world. It seems to be, really, in a way, to be wider than the wide world. In fact, it's and not, deeper than yeah. all else. It's not in a particular place, because no, it's all is over. In it's, it. it's all over the place. Yes, yes. I mean, it, 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 you know, the view out into my world is, is so puny, really, compared with the view back in this direction, which is of infinite extent, clarity, uh, and. Uh, in every liveness yeah, to itself. Yeah. In every respect, looking out is different, totally opposite from looking in. Yes, that's right. But, of course, there's another thing I must add here. We don't say, I can't find anywhere separating them. I can distinguish them totally, and I need to distinguish them totally. And when they're distinguished totally, they come together totally. If they're anything like, if the viewing is anything like the view out, then they never come together. But if the contrast is total, in other words, one is the capacity for the other. The contrast is total, the unity is total. I see this to be the case. Mm. In other words, the space I have is its filling. Mm. And when I look, so when I look out at Richard, just look out at Richard, um, well, I'm missing half the story. When I say Richard plus Richard in the world, I'm only getting half the story because I'm leaving out this half, the, the half in the, that lies in this direction. But if I look in this direction, why I'm getting the clarity, and I'm also getting Richard filling it. Yeah. So it seems to me that my whole business in life is to look here. 
because looking here involves there, whereas looking there doesn't necessarily involve here. So if I do my whole business in life to look here. Now, if I do that, coming back to the ritual question, what does it do for personal relationships? When I look here in my so-called relationships with other people, it's not that uh, I'm related to them at all. Uh, as I say, I have the experience of being them. And how am I them? First of all, it's a double identity. First of all, I have their appearance, which they apparently don't have themselves. They tell me they don't. My friends tell me that uh, where they are, they ain't. Well, first of all, I have their appearance. Second, secondly, uh, I am here, uh, this awareness uh, which they are. So, my, I, I don't relate Ultimately, I relate to nothing whatever. I am uh, you, and you, and you, and infinite. When you look here to the space, then it's not just discovering just space, is it? It's really finding that you're the aware source of everything. In other words, you've gone where you are. That is such a difference from imagining one as a person. Yes, there are three uh, three possibilities here. I suppose one is that uh, I am uh, I am what I took myself to be, what I told I was, what society brings me up to claim to be, namely a, a human being, just like the ones I see around, uh, kind of solid, uh, normal. Uh, perishable, limited object to call a human being. That's number one. Number two is um, just space. I mean, you know, just just emptiness for other human beings, just sheer emptiness. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, like a kind of vacuum filled to be filled with this, that, and the other. But there's a third, uh, a third. Uh, possibilities here, and uh, that is vastly different from both of them, I think, and it is, it is that this, this play, it's true that about what I find here, no words will encompass it, no words will describe it, it has no characteristics. It, it's, it's, it receives all characteristics, it has none of its own, and it's free of all characteristics. And paradoxically, this uh, gives it just incredible value. You know, there's a saying in the Upanishads, it recurs in various scriptures, from different one way or another, that we get happiness and satisfaction and peace uh, only from what is open-ended, unlimited, uh, what cannot be comprehended, well, well, that is, it is totally beyond our uh, framework of reference. It's something that breaks through from outside, totally mysterious. 
and from that we we get satisfaction. We get satisfaction only from the unlimited, never from the limited, never. And uh, so the third, the third one I'm talking about, is the no thing, which which really is no thing. I mean, really is indescribable. But I am it. And therefore, it's the one thing I really know without being able to describe. It's something that is baffles me to put a word to. But it is, it is, it is the one thing I really do know from experience, and that is what I am. And what am I? It is no thing, aware of itself is no thing. But this this being totally mysterious, self-originating, incredible, ungraspable, unknowable, thereby becomes mysteriously what I can put my money on, my infinite resource, you know, something so precious something I just can't find any words to talk about to to, to, to describe it Um, can you help me here? well I'm just wondering if one is when it comes to this place then and one I know the word God doesn't even begin to fit you know and yet it has a certain power that uh, gives some indication of what is but what do you think there is to uh, convince one or convince others that this is really it. This is really coming to the source to deny enlightenment. Like it, it doesn't look or feel like anything, does it? Well, I think certain things can be said about it. I think what comes and goes, what comes and goes, what is uh, changeable, um, that I cannot be, I cannot rest in, I cannot find my peace. It's not my resource. Um, that which can be known this way or that way, or even known at all, uh, is something I get my intellectual tape measure around. Uh, that won't, that's not my resource. Uh, my resource has to be, um, to use that old word, ineffable, uh, ungraspable, uh, totally convincing, totally precious, but for no reason really. Uh, I suppose what gives me the entree, in a way, more than anything else, to this sense of my identity, this identity which is incredibly nothing and incredibly valuable, what gives me the, the entree to it is. Uh, is, is, is it self-origination? Mm. That it, 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 
is the abyss from which I am proceeds. It's more fundamental, infinitely more fundamental than the sense of I am. It's like a sense I am not, Christ. But it's it's the fountain. It's the uh, or it's not the fountain. It's where the fountain comes from. It's the source of the fountain of I amness, which uh, which is my myself coming into being. It's below being. It's where being comes from for no reason. It is. it is the bafflement, uh, really, it is the vertigo, it's the giddiness, really, of the Godhead um, investigating its own origins, which are unknowable. And uh, the Godhead or God is uh, totally bowled over by this. And this, strangely, this ignorance, this not knowing, is. Um, Founders kind of knowledge somehow. Mm. Clearly it's not Douglas seeing this, is it? It's the uh, source aware of itself. With astonishment. No, and I mean, uh, the, that I can't find anything remaining of that uh, guy who's over there. He certainly is, uh, I mean, from, it's as, as though one has levels. Um, well, the, the bottom level of all is the un- unspeakable, no thing, the unthinkable origin of a I am, which we could call I am not, from which I am proceeds. And then from the I am, the, that level, you get the I am darkness proceeding from there, I am Richard, I am this, that, I am the and uh, these are various levels of uh, manifestation. But I, uh, I feel that my refuge, my resource, my joy, my blessing comes from what is below existence, below being, below thought, below feeling, from which it all comes. In, in, in a way, the potentiality of everything is more precious than the actuality. Because it is so, I don't know, so deep, so resourceful, so, so much you can rest. You can rest in the potentiality. The actuality is always flying off in beautiful creativity, isn't it? So the fountain is never. I mean, the point about a fountain is always in motion. But the motion, I can't rest in the motion. I have to go, go back to where it's all coming from. The that nothingness is so endlessly astonishing, isn't it? It it can never be grasped or held no. or understood, no. No. and yet it's the source of such uh, awe, really. Yes. And the the beautiful thing is, it's uh, it's so mysterious, but really just this act, the simple act of turning around 180 degrees puts us in immediate touch with it. So this seeing is not a shallow thing. I mean, it's a simple, the most simple thing, but it's looking to the very depth. Yes, it really is. Uh, infinite depths. I mean, 
looking out into the world, one looks out onto a into a cul-de-sac. One looks out into some terminal, some terminus there. You know, where there's the sky or the trees or Richard or that desk. Uh, there's an end to it there. But looking in this other way, 180 degrees, the vista goes on and on forever into depth on depth of unknowable mystery and above all the mystery of why, how does it contrive itself? Do I contrive? Unknowable, it's unknowable. Yeah. And I, I'm quite sure that God's greatest joy, and I think one is one's own evidence of this, God's greatest joy is his own ineffability. A God that's got himself taped would be so, uh, I don't know, thin, meager, uh, shadow, and this is a most extraordinary joy, the joy of, of how can one express this wonder? How can one do it justice, Richard? It baffles one to describe it, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. Totally. But just turn around and you're in touch with it once. What would you say about the whole idea of bliss? Do you think bliss has a place? A reality? Yes. I, I suppose that people mean different things by bliss. Um, I, I can tell you what I think it, what meaning I would give to the word, uh, whether others would share the same meaning, I don't know. But uh, what I've been describing is uh, uh, that'll do, that'll do. Um, it seems to me that when I get onto um, the manifestations of various levels of this uh, creative source, of this mystery, when I get onto those uh, particular manifestations, why they don't hold bliss, they, don't, they uh, have no bliss to offer me. Uh, and uh, the, bl the bliss is to be found in the, I I at the point of origin, really. Um, you know, there's an Upanishad which talks about joy. I suppose it's the same word, Ananda, uh, joy or bliss, uh, being at the root of everything. And it's joy that creates the world. And. Uh, achieves being, arises from, uh, where is where it, it does arise from, it's joy, and uh, its very nature is joy, and others, other creatures, it said, others, must live on a diminution of that joy. So it's as though the world is, 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 is coming out of joy, but getting less joyful as it goes on. Well, I think the thing is to be in touch with, and to be not in touch with it, but actually to be the joy from which the world comes, which taken by itself and apart from that is, is dukkha suffering. Uh, I think the joy, mysteriously the, 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 the suffering is somehow taken care of from its origin.
Is this joy uh, something that comes and goes? Well, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. It's, uh, um, no, I, I think I think that it is timeless, really. And why should I think that? Well, because when I contact it, uh, you can say it looks as though I'm contacting it now and not five minutes ago when we talk about something else. Uh, but when you contact, contact this region, uh, you don't have a sense of having returning to it. You have a sense that uh, there's no interval between the, no interval whatever between the uh, occasions of enjoying it. No interval whatever. Um, and for all sorts of other reasons, which uh, you know we could go into, uh, this which is the centre of my being is, uh, because it's changeless, just because it changes, and because it's empty, because there's no thing there, there's no possibility of change, and there's no change, there's no time. And uh, then uh, this is forever my reality. Not something that comes and goes. And being this one is aware that everything is within one. That's clearly obvious. But sometimes one has a sense of as if one's arms are around everything. Nothing is excluded. Absolutely. And uh, this brings one to the question we haven't discussed yet. Which is, in a way, I think, the basic question of our lives, is our identity. Now, you know, you've got this great tradition, which uh, flying in the face, apparently, of common sense and uh, modesty, and uh, certainly the popular view of things, um, says that I am not a man. By me is God, and I recognize no other, says Saint Catherine of Genoa. And you have uh, scores of the great uh, mystics, coming from all the great religions, who find their true identity is, uh, is none other than the source of the whole world. And that uh, once one starts off with a provisional identification with this, that, the other, what one sees in the mirror, and so forth. And uh, our undoing, our trouble, is that is those false identifications. And, well, my own way of putting it, as you know, is a very simple one. Language, language a bit coming from my childhood, to be saved is to be him. To be saved is to be him. And that, well, from every point of view, this, this works out, nothing else works out, nothing else is true. Nothing else is true. Everything but God perishes. Well, am I perishable? Beatrice said she was. And I think it's, in some sense, it's just a matter of looking to see. But in another sense, is it something that grows with one, 
does it mature? Does this sense of one's identity deepen? I think the um, I think the vision of it is uh, does not deepen the vision of it. The um, direct apprehension of it is the same throughout because uh, there is nothing to be grasped. How can uh, this, the grasping become more? Or what is grasp change? I, I don't see any possibility of that. And in my own experience, I think my first view of this is not different from my last view of it, nor different if there were are other views of it. You know, in a certain sense, you could look upon others as viewing this too. I mean, once you introduce the possibility of levels and uh, degrees here, I'm back in, you know, back in trouble again, very deep trouble. But that's not the point. The point is that I can find nothing here to change at all. I find no difference, no development. But when it comes to the expression of this in my life and its connection with all the uh, downstream stuff of my life, uh, why then, then it's capable of ongoing change forever and ever as far as I can make out. Development. In terms of your sense of it, your understanding of it, your living of it? Yes. But the, the, the experience itself is it's the, <coughs> the experience of, uh, of one's infinite, uh, oneself as infinite capacity, infinitely clear, infinitely deep and aware. One's experience of that is the same all through. Timeless, changeless, bottomless, ineffable, indescribable, simplicity. What in in what sense does this affect your sense of what you want? Does it affect your sense of what you want, your personal will, your desires? Where does surrender come in? Gosh, that's so important, isn't it? It's so important. Um, Do you have any personal will? Well, uh, I, I find here perhaps rather surprise in a way um, that the, the Douglas's personal will or at any rate his strong preferences are very much around and uh, I I'd much prefer uh, to be healthy or if I'm not healthy I get better from what I'm suffering from I much prefer um, even a, a, nice, a nice day to miserable cold weather. I prefer um, all sorts of beautiful things to ugly things around. I, I prefer that my friends are happy and uh, things are going well with them and infinitely prefer that to the reverse. So in that sense one has an enormous array of strong preferences, not to say uh, one's will uh, is, uh, if you can call it will, uh, 
is, is quite active. That is so. And uh, I, I don't find much uh, change there. In fact, I don't find any appreciable change there. No. Uh, but at the same time, there's another side to the whole thing. And that is that uh, constantly, uh, when I'm seeing who I am here, which I'm doing now, which is the, what we're discussing now, the whole thing is about this. The seeing of who I am here is surrender, because it's not only really surrendering all one's hopes and will and desires, it's, a, it's surrendering the idea of someone here who is having those. Um, I mean, it's not a case only of uh, surrendering uh, personal will, but surrendering the person who has the will. So it seems to me that implicitly uh, and in principle, this in-looking, uh, this, uh, this in-seeing that we're talking about is surrender already. Already it is total surrender, because it doesn't leave a speck of anything here. It doesn't even leave a person to, to exercise will, let alone will, here. But I would say it's as though Douglas out there is uh, doing his willing thing. It seems that uh, that's a part of his uh, uh, no condition of being Douglas. And I think to pack up all that sort of thing would be to, to pack up altogether. He wouldn't be around. Uh, he wouldn't be around doing his uh, thing and being a human being, uh, which I take him to be, and there he seems to be carrying on normally. If he didn't have a whole host of preferences, strong preferences too, that seems to me what makes him uh, Douglas. And without uh, to pretend that those are weakened is simply to say that you you're getting tired of life. I mean, it's not being tired. It isn't being virtuous. No, I think that is. Uh, I think uh, I think that to have strong preferences for this and that and the other, uh, even to the point of willing those things, if I may use that word, there, is perfectly consistent with surrender. To and what is the surrender then? Well, it is. It is. Uh, it is staying here at the center and from the center surveying all that's going on there, including these preferences, uh, uh, carrying on merrily there, uh, seeing them from this position, surveying them, exercising them, um, taking responsibility for, for them from this joy or this satisfaction or this um, strong sense of The mystery, the one's identity here mm -hmm. as as the origin, as the origin for whom nothing can go wrong, for whom all is well. See, if I am, if I am who I'm advertised to be by in the great mystics and great religions have said I am, if I am that, if I am the one and the only one, the alone what can have gone wrong, and in what sense can my will not be carried out. If I am who I am, which is the one, the alone, 
and alone by inclusion, not by exclusion, by including all beings, not by excluding any, if I am that, then my will is done. I can conceive no way in which there's no, nobody's frustrated, no way in which it cannot be, it, 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 it can be frustrated. So, in being who I am here, I am surrendered to whatever happens because it is basically my will. And uh, that is perfectly consistent with uh, noticing that Douglas, as long as Douglas is around, he's got a, a whole repertoire of stuff that he would like to see happen. I put this very badly, but the, the living together of these two things is important. Yeah. And it's not saying Douglas has got to be a kind of milk and, a creeping Jesus, a kind of milk and water saint that uh, everything right. is acceptable to equally and got no preference. No, no, not at all. We're so deeply conditioned to be somebody, aren't we, right from the beginning of our lives. How do we get off that first thing? How do we get to deep surrender? How do we get to really deeply sensing we are who we are? Really? Oh, how do we get to how, uh, how do we fulfill our heart's desire in that sense? I don't think we can get to it by or by uh, training ourselves really I I think it's mysterious it's you know I'm inclined to take refuge in a, a word which is really cop out in a sense grace you know it explains nothing I, I I'm looking back on my life why is it that this has been my life it has been my life and I've been a pretty poor exemplar of the whole thing, but it has been my life. Now why has it been my life? Why, why, why should I have elected to go for this thing rather than to become a, a successful architect or I don't know, whatever else I might have tried to do? Why? How, do, how, did, how did I do that? I think it, it happened to me in spite of it happened in, in spite of all my resistances to it. And I don't know. I will, I, <laughs> it's one of those questions I cannot answer. I think that I tried very hard to avoid this and I got, I got pushed into it. I suppose, I suppose really having a, you know, having a, a very, uh, very tough time when I, tried anything else. I mean, I pushed into, into this, I suppose you could say, by the unsatisfactoriness of the alternatives. Yeah. Do you think that seeing this and carrying on seeing this, as it were, helps you as a person, sorts out some of your problems, hang-ups? relationship problems, whatever. Well, absolutely no question about that. 
I mean, uh, what it amounts to is uh, saying, do I think that living from the truth is, is more satisfactory than living from the uh, fiction? Of course it is. And uh, uh, you would say, well, Douglas, I don't notice that your life is so uncomplicated and uh, you know, so different from other people's. You seem to have a few problems knocking around. It was no idea, but who knows, but been something rather, you know, not wholly satisfactory. So you can, you can, you could certainly say that uh, it doesn't seem to sort out one's life uh, entirely. No, I think the, uh, I think the answer is to to see these two things going on. There's a Douglas thing going on. Uh, and it, it's as, as it were peripheral. It's out, way out there in the mirror, and uh, Douglas is not here. And uh, Douglas is a Douglas is a creation of this, a manifestation of this. And uh, considered on its own by itself, is about as crummy as most uh, most similar manifestations. In some ways, a little less crummy. But otherwise, more crummy. I, I, I think not very satisfactory. In some ways, I'd say deplorable. Well, looked at by itself, but seen from its origin, accepted from its origin, it's a totally different thing. It seems to me that when we look at things, really the only way we can see the world is from the origin of the world. That's a very, very remarkable thing. The only way really to see the world is from the place where it all begins, namely the, the void, the clarity here. The only way you can see the world. Now, let's do it consciously. Let's see it consciously from its origin. Mm -hmm. And then I think we shall say that it is it is um, pretty poor stuff and uh, Douglas is, uh, you know, just uh, is, uh, 40 and uh, troublesome characters in the other. Yes, seen at its own level, but seen from its origin, somehow it's okay, and it's perfected. And you could say nothing gone wrong somehow. Nothing gone wrong. It seems a very conceited thing to say. At its own level, everything seems to be be uh, flawed, vitiated. I mean, somehow spoiled. Seen from its origin, not so. So this undercuts, in a sense, the view that one has to reach some kind of spiritual level before one gets enlightened. The word enlightened is one I don't uh, care to use very much, but uh, one must uh, use that word. Well, there are two views here, aren't there? One is uh, two traditional views. One is that uh, in order to find out who you are and become enlightened, you have to polish yourself up, reform yourself, go into discipline, one discipline or another, become qualified to make this momentous discovery about your identity. And uh, this is the end product of a long period of training, months, years, perhaps lifetimes discipline and uh, a lot of a lot of people have uh, believed that 
and try to follow that path. But I think the consensus is that when at last they come, uh, those people, if they ever do come to see who they are and become enlightened, that they give a great big laugh and say, what was it all about? And it was uh, uh, that all I was really trying to do was to polish a brick. Uh, that all along I was not a brick, I was a mirror. And this polishing is all rubbish. Uh, and uh, that, that I see that all my discipline, all my achievements, all my improvements were totally irrelevant. And from the start, I was who I was and enlightened from the very beginning. Uh, and then, of course, there is the other school who recognizes that from the start. That you start with enlightenment and then you go on to deserve it later, practice it later. You start with the easy thing, which is seeing who you are. Because you see, all the spiritual discipline is damn difficult. It, it requires great strength of character. And it, uh, it's, um, gosh, it's, uh, I would say, in, in many ways, a cramping thing. It's something which uh, you have to pay a very, very high price for. Very, very difficult. And by contrast, total, in total contrast, this inward look that we're on about, this turning around out of your attention, looking within, discovering here, this central perfection, which is one's very source. This is a bit of cake. It's simple, it's easy, it's the one thing I can do. It's the easiest thing in my life is to do that. It's easy, but it's something we, uh, gosh, we avoid, avoid doing. Incredibly simple to turn around. It's the one thing I can do really properly. I can't make a muck of. Why do you think we avoid it? Well, uh, that's a mystery. I suppose uh, God doesn't want to, uh, God having uh, decided uh, he or she was going to uh, um, what shall I say, play, play hide and seek with himself or herself, having decided that uh, uh, he would uh, divide himself apparently parts in order to experience one day the joy of coming together again doesn't want the game to be over too quickly. Mm. That's one way of putting it. Um, why individually we avoid this? Well, I suppose, don't you, that uh, there's one fear we have above all else and that's the fear of vanishing without trace, disappearing. And I think we all have a hunch that when we really look to see this thing that we built up here, we see that we just go and vanish, there's nothing left. And that reads like annihilation, which we're very reasonably scared to do. Mm. So just going back to the discipline bit, do you think there is any place for discipline, for practice, or can we just do what we want? Well, there is a there is a terrific place for discipline practice, and I think nothing is ever done without it. But what is the practice? There are two kinds of practice. In the next part of this interview, please listen to part three.